Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bright-sighted. But I come back to the idea that I had a choice and I had to, like, either choose my kids or him. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think, I think he was breaking even more and I feel like it could have gotten, uh, it could have gotten worse. It could have gotten violent. It could have gotten to, you know, um, we joke like, I'm sorry. This is like, I joke so much that I don't know I'm going to offend anyone, but we used to say, used to be like, it could have been a Dateline episode. Like I could have been that situation where his brain completely broke and then we're all dead. So yeah, I I don't doubt that. Yeah. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers, welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Yep, what's going on, people? Another Friday. Thank you for tuning in. Um, For those of you that are joining the show from finding me on TikTok or Instagram or on YouTube, if you are on YouTube, please click like and subscribe. It helps with the algorithm. Um, Thank you so much. Blessed to be here another week. Um, I've got a great episode in store for you guys today. I'm sort of deviating a little bit from my normal, you know, interviewing people with uh, true crime sort of trauma or a true crime story or host of a true crime podcast or whatever it might be. Um, I'm deviating a little bit into something that I feel is really personal for me, and that is mental health. And um, my guests today are Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner, and they have a podcast called Unqualified Therapist. And on their show, they are the self-described trauma queens shining light into the dark corners of life. Um, we have a really great conversation in store from you guys. And to be honest with you, I talk about some issues that I've experienced in my own personal life. And I sort of discover a lot of things that I never really knew about depression, clinical depression, non-treatable, you know, medical depression. So I've been fortunate enough, even though I have been depressed about certain things to not experience clinical depression 
or an untreatable depression. And um, in this episode, we really delve into these topics hardcore with these two extraordinary women who uh, I'm going to interview. And I was uh, full disclosure on their podcast not too long ago where they interviewed me about my story of my father murdering my mother and bringing to justice for my mother and my film of murder in Mansfield. And of course this podcast moving past murder, as you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, and full disclosure also, uh, Amy Baumgartner and I are alumni of The Ohio University. Go Bobcats! And our um, mutual friend, Jesse, introduced us. And I was blessed enough to meet her and then be on the program. And of course, we have podcasts. And so that's how this whole thing went. But before we get into the interview, I want to go to, of course, this week's listener comment question message of the week. And this one comes from. Jasmine on Twitter and I was driving down to go visit my good friend Tara Newell support her for her survivor event that she did with the Red Songbird Foundation and uh, that was on August 20th which is her six year survival date when she was attacked by Dirty John Meehan and she ended up taking his life in self-defense and so I was there to support her and as I'm driving down the always jam-packed <laughs> trafficy. I-405 in Southern California, I get this message that pops up on Twitter from Jasmine and she says, why looks to the past? What now looks to the future at Collier Landry? You just completely changed my life with that statement. Thank you for putting your story out there. It's helping so many people around the world. Thank you, Jasmine. So Jasmine is referencing a Ted talk that I did, um, back a few years back. And I talk about my unique approach to trauma how I feel that when you are trying to reconcile what has happened to you or reconcile horrible events that happened to all of us, we've experienced pandemic, 9-11, things of that nature, war, school shootings, what have you. There's plenty of, of traumatic events to reference here. Um, we as human beings try to really understand why these things have happened. And I feel like in my own unique way of dealing with my trauma, one of the ways that led me through it is instead of saying, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my mother? Why did this happen to my family? I decided to leave with action saying, what now? Which was for me, obviously leading investigators to discover my mother's body buried, be buried beneath my father's house in Erie, Pennsylvania, leading, you know, the charge and, you know, getting him charged with murdering my mother and of course, testifying him in court. And uh, he is still incarcerated to this day, as you guys know made a film about it called a murder in Mansfield. I talk about it in this Ted talk. You should check it out. It's available on my website at callyourlandry.com. It's also available on the Ted website, Ted.com. You can just type my name in and you'll see it. Um, I'm very proud of it actually. And so when she popped this comment up, I was like, wow, uh, the message really rings true. That's super cool. So, um, thank you so much, Jasmine for, uh, giving me a shout out. I really appreciate it. Speaking of shout outs, I want to give a shout out to all my Patreon subscribers and supporters that are uh, joining my channel, my Patreon. Uh, thank you very much for your support. Your support helps keep the lights on on this program. And if you have not had an opportunity to check out my Patreon, it is patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. And there's lots of new content that is coming out. I'm actually going back to Ohio to film some content for that and my TikTok channel, which is at call your Landry on TikTok. Um, so those are my shameless plugs, but please, if you can support, it helps keep the lights on to help make this program the program that it is. And you know, I'm doing this content to, for you guys, my audience, cause I want to give you quality content. So every little bit helps. I thank you guys so much and I will not make your ears bleed another moment longer. Um, 
Now to the episode, my guests are the unqualified therapists, Sarah and Amy. I am pleased to welcome to the program today, Sarah and Amy from Unqualified Therapist Podcast, the self-proclaimed trauma queens. Welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. We're excited. And uh, I was obviously on your podcast last week. So yeah, we (laughs) love that conversation. up both and, ways. Yeah, yeah, no, it's up and out there. You guys should go listen to it. Collier's insight on healing is very inspirational. We loved we loved talking to you. So welcome to the program. Welcome to Moving, moving Past Murder. Um, so I guess I want to, so, so Amy, I guess we should share how we know each other. Yes. Through our so, mutual friend, Jesse Marsh. Yes. And, uh, and Jesse and I went to college together. And so did I. <laughs> you guys just didn't know. That's we right. just didn't know each other. Yeah. So we're we just all didn't know each other. We're yes, all we were all That's right. We were all there at the same time um, um, in Athens. Athens, Ohio. And I only applied to two colleges, one where I went, Bethany College, and two, Ohio University. So we could have. We could, I could have been there too, but I didn't go. I decided. See, look at all of us. Said. We would have known each other, and yeah. we could have. We could have prepped ourselves. Well, I was already prepped, obviously, but um, we could have. I could have prepped you guys, and then we we could have talked about starting a podcast years later. Hey, I don't even think I'm, podcast. Not to date us, but I don't even think podcasting was a. Thing they were not. Then. They, they were, were not a thing. Definitely. You know what was? It was just NPR's um, "This American Life" was about all there was, and which I love. Talk. Me too. I, w- I love both of those so much. I don't know car talk. I listen to them on the actual radio <laughs> every oh, Saturday. You guys know what that is? There's a the radio. The radio, folks. Right, and there was and and what was the station for NPR in Athens? Because I listened to the one out of Ohio State. That's how I would get my. NPR. I honestly don't remember. I can think of it here, but I can't think of it there. It's ninety point five here. It's a K. It's some some K something. I'm sure yeah. I'll, I'm sure I'll remember it, but I do remember, and I don't even think I listened. I listened to it like on the straight radio, not even internet radio. Right, but that wasn't a thing that either. Wasn't a thing. Yeah. Do you remember the email that we had, Collier, the um, with the green screens? What was that, that was called? Their, that was what just was green email. It was all there was was yes. email there. Like it was cat something like. Yes. Yeah, and then you had to go, and you could only go. You, you had to go in the main hall. Yes. The, right there on campus, which was across from the. Yes. Um, auditorium yes it was in um in the uh baker center the baker center thank you God. that whole like it's it's interesting i remember all this because it's a big scene in my book so i had to go back and describe baker center and those emails and all of that stuff because a lot of stuff happened there with my um, late husband and so i remember the emails with the green screens and people like what do you mean you could just email i was like that's it <laughs> And I just remember being really confused by it, like really like the login. <laughs> well, they gave was, us an email and I was like, what's that? Yeah. Electronic mail. And then I remember a friend of mine signed me up for Yahoo mail. And Ooh. then that's what I would use. It was That was the new stuff. <clears throat> and yeah. I, I, but I was really confused. I mean, God, wow. Yeah. What okay. I, here's the real question though. Do you still have your Yahoo email address? I do. I don't ever use it. I don't think I've used it. Whenever somebody gives me an email address and it's Yahoo or it's Hotmail, I'm like, or AOL. I'm like, come on, guys. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I will get emails from people with a Netscape (laughs) address. In fact, that still exists. Yep. And I also had somebody email me from a prodigy.net email address. I don't even know what that is. 
Yeah, well, remember Prodigy used to get the CD-ROM in the mail, and then you would slide it oh in the computer, gosh. and you had to yes. sign up for it. That was I like the days that. of 56K. Yeah, Prodigy oh. Net. Wow. Oh Throwing it back. We just cleaned out my mom's house. <clears throat> she passed away last October, and she was a hoarder. And so we were in the den, and I found this booklet, and it was like, 400 hours for free America online. <laughs> wow. I feel like you could sell that as like a relic on eBay. I no. should. I should. Yeah. For I was sure. like, totally. look at this. I've struck gold. I'm rich Well, now. and Gen Zers love all things from our generation. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I just directed it or just shot a music video and they, they sent over the references and they're like, okay, so I want to do, uh, I want it to look like Britney Spears slave for you. Cross with dirty with Christina Aguilera. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, wow. And then this girl who I just met the other day, she had on these really cool wide leg jeans, which are very in right now, high waist, wide leg jeans, massive rips in them. But they had the, they had the dye, the same dye pattern as the Levi sport jeans. And I said, you guys remember the sport jeans? You have to remember. But they were like stonewashed, right? Yeah, they were like the yeah. stonewashed, and I and they looked like Levi's sport jeans the way they were cut. And I was like, you don't know anything about this, but <laughs> Levi's sport jeans were the shit. They were the shit. I just how so, did we become the old people? Is what I, I want to know. know. I never thought this we're day not would old. come, and here we are. We're not old. Like I don't. I I am not resigning. Like I, I literally had. I'm not either. I it's swear just to that God, these people. Hand to God on my mother's eternal soul. She. I was on the phone with her yesterday, and she was talking to me about a casting. And she goes, I don't know if you saw our age, our age, um, our, our what our age range was, and I just I, I wanted to you know make sure we you know we 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 cap off at thirty. And I said, Yeah, I said, but your top end is forty five, and she goes, Yeah, yeah, but it's thirty. So, I said. Okay, well, so hold on. I said, are you are you implying that I I'm under? You think that I'm under thirty? And she said, Well, I don't know. I've only met you once. I don't really know. I mean, I think so. I was like, Oh God, bless you. God bless yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Great. When stuff like that happens, it's so it's great. So great. It's a, just yeah. a, it's, it's just you know. Admit, yeah, for days, weeks. Yeah, I run off of that. Like card me all day long. Oh. Yes. Pretend. I dated a girl. I dated a girl like two months ago. She was standing in my kitchen. She goes, "Well, how old are you?" I said, "How old do I look?" She goes, "Well, oh, 32. I was like, "God bless." Yep. You. Just. I'll take it. She is Gen Zer. Oh, Anyways, um, enough, <laughs> enough about that. Now uh, <laughs> we have Gen Z children. That's how old Amy and I are. Oh but you're the same age, so I can't say that. <laughs> Gen, I can't. I can't slam our age without slamming you, and I'm not slamming you. I Gen swear. Z children. Yep. Oh, it's a thing. Um. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on that note, so um, now that we know, we all know how we know each other. We all used the uh, DARPAnet version of the right, Ohio State, Ohio University version of the DARPAnet. Um, uh, why don't you guys sort of tell me? I know that you both have similar but different stories, obviously. Um, but how you came to start your podcast, Unqualified Therapist. Well, as you said, we are self-proclaimed trauma queens. Uh, we we wear that as um, differently than some people. It comes across in two ways. People are like, oh, it's too close to drama queen. I don't like it. But we wear it as like a badge of honor. We wear our crowns proudly that we have been able to come out the other side of some pretty tough shit. And can we swear on here? Yes. 
please. <laughs> I've listened to your podcast. Absolutely. I don't know, but I can't remember. I was like, I can't remember if I've heard any, any casting. Okay. Um, I'm trying to tone it down, but it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. So it just a very brief overview. You know, I've, I've seen with my own eyes, two people pass away in front of me. One was a childhood friend when we were eight years old. Um, and I watched her be revived, tried to be revived from drowning and she died there at the scene. I've lost, my brother was killed in a car accident. Um, my dad died from colon cancer. I was not there for either of those. And then my mom passed away, like I said, about 10 months ago uh, from a heart attack. And I was with her in the ICU when she passed. Um, we started this podcast before she left us, but, um, and, and I'll let Amy tell her side of things, but uh, we just sort of, we're, we were all, we were in my living room. This is my favorite part. And we were doing what we do best, and that was making light of our situations and kind of joking about our rough spots. Because when you trauma bond, kind of like we did, yeah, and you know sure. you have this like connection, you feel like you can be yourself, and you feel like you can say the things that make other people uncomfortable to one another. And yeah. we were just like laughing our asses off. And Amy's like, we should have a podcast. And I was like, oh my God, we should have a podcast. <laughs> so it was just this sort of like thing that came out of just like one really fast sentence that came out of Amy's mouth. And that With was a bunch it. of white claws. We started a bunch of white claws involved, of course, <laughs> you know, because we're basic white bitches. And we um, just started planning that like right away, you know, and, and, dove into what that was going to look like and pretty quickly I think it was like two months later we were, we were on, on it yeah. yeah yeah we um so my my late husband and I had planned on doing a podcast um it was actually on um a, a man here who had gone missing a college student had gone missing in Ohio State and we had done all the prep for it we were doing it and we never got to finish it because we never got to finish anything um, my husband had bipolar disorder. We were married for 17 years and we have two children together and it was just a very tumultuous ride, I guess. And I, I feel like I never really was able to like settle down because I was constantly waiting for the next manic episode. I was waiting for all of these things. And when someone who you love so deeply is so sick and becomes a different person, totally because of this illness, it just puts a whole nother twist on how you're going to handle it. So I just, I knew right then I wasn't ever leaving. And so we were going to get through this. Um, on top of that, when I was a freshman at OU, I was diagnosed with um, depression and anxiety and it's, and an eating disorder and it continued on. So I was dealing with all of that. He was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so though the, the system failed both of us pretty severely in terms of hospitalizations and um, help whenever we needed it, it wasn't there. And I kept it a secret. So I lived in complete secret with all of this for so, so long. And that's the big part of the podcast for me is that had I spoken out, had I shared it with someone, had um, I, I was too scared and I was rightly scared because the world has shown me that when you do tell the truth about mental illness, they don't like it because it scares them. Um, but what Sarah and I do is we just say it anyways. And we say the things that nobody wants 
that wants to they want to say but they're too scared to say and so hoping that we can normalize and we can break down uh, the stigma that surrounds scary illnesses you know apparently you know scary illnesses are like you know the bipolar disorder because it was scary it did get violent there was things that were not controllable so um i lived in secret for so so long in fact another part of sarah and i's journey is that she knew me before all of this and had no idea she just thought scott and i were like the best couple like because we outwardly we were pretty fucking incredible um but inside you know closed doors it was it was another story so i i just don't want anyone to ever have to live like that i don't want anyone to have to live in secret um and then after my husband passed he did end up going um out west for a 30-day treatment center it was his last like i guess hurrah and turn and trying to become better um and then he never came home. He ended up dying by suicide and um, while he was out there. So, you know, after that happened, I think that Sarah and I just looked at each other and we were like, this is bullshit. I can't, I really, I couldn't live anymore like that. I could not live inauthentically. I wasn't going to live in secret anymore. And I didn't want other people to suffer in secret. And so if we had to say the shit that was gonna get us fired, get us, to lose friends, which all of these things, you know, have happened. Um, people don't like us. Okay, fine. But I'm helping the person that's DMing me on the down low. And you have no idea who that is. I'm never going to tell you, but I'm helping them by saying this stuff out loud, by putting it out there, by telling them, no, you're not alone. It's oh, like you, the system's fucked. And I believe that deserves the F. It does. Okay. And it's, you know, <laughs> loving someone so deeply who is tormented so much and you can't help them is a scary, scary, scary road. Mm -hmm. And to do that by yourself is just so hard. And I just remember when he died being at his um, celebration of life and just being pissed the fuck off at everyone. I was like, where were you? Like, where were all of you? And um, like my big joke was like, <laughs> When someone dies, they bring you food. Well, when he was having a manic episode and I couldn't get him from the hospital to here and do all these things, I would have really loved a casserole because I couldn't feed my kids. I couldn't take care of my kids. I had nobody to watch that, you know, all of these things. And so I don't know. I just feel like by us putting all of this out here and just saying the ugly truths of things and the things that we keep secret, yeah, that we can sort of start normalizing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And have a sense of humor about it. Well, Absolutely. <laughs> you have to, you have to. I mean, that is so, so big for us. Yeah. We are, we do not take Absolutely. ourselves too seriously at all mm -hmm. to a fault sometimes maybe, but again, we're not for everyone. Yeah. We are yeah, not I, for everyone. Know, it's interesting. And I think we talked about that in my episode, but, um, you know, it's interesting because sometimes people will lash out and excoriate you for having a sense of humor about these things, or how can you say that? How can you do this? I'm like, right. well, the fuck do you expect me to do like right. sit here and just curl up into a ball and just be like oh life is hard well yeah life is still hard <laughs> it's still it still is not without its challenges and yeah. it's just like you know this is your way of coping and you know like screw you guys like you know what i mean like yeah. deal with what we've, we're dealing with and then you can talk you know it's it's always the peanut gallery that has the most comments for stuff like that i do want to yeah. comment on something that you said um uh and this would be something that i would be embarrassed to admit so i quit drinking in on november 5th 2020 
And unfortunately, the last beverage that I put in my mouth was a lime White Claw, which is probably enough to turn someone off of White Claws because it's god awful. It is. God-awful. Um, so I would I would say that that was the final straw. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so you mentioned White Claw. <laughs> White Claw being the genesis of the, being the involved podcast, in the genesis yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> I, I I just find that very funny and ironic. Um, no, but in all seriousness, you know, it, it, I, I feel like being able to come from a place of authority and break down barriers is so key. And that's one of the amazing things that podcasting has been able to do, right? It sort of levels the playing field mm-hmm. yeah, in a lot of ways. And also it allows you to take, I mean, I think, you know, you talk about the system, right? So you when you refer to that are you saying that just basically the the sort of the stigma of mental health and being ill in those ways like bipolar disorder um it it causes a lot of prejudice yeah i would say there's two i think it's twofold i think that um scott had always kept that a secret from his employers because we knew that that would end his job there but his mania and manic episodes caused him to get fired because, I mean, the stories I could tell you that he did. But I think he spent three weeks in a Panera pretending to be at work, still emailing from his email at work. I was like, dude, what the hell is happening? Like, just crazy, crazy things. So, yeah. That's- were you aware of that when it was happening no. or no? No. So so there's part of it where um, I think he was trying to hide it. I think also he was... Part of the illness was he was a pathological liar. He really did lie about everything to cover up, you know, and his big thing is he just didn't want to disappoint me, but it was just, it was hard not to because he couldn't stop himself from, from himself, you know? And so, um, you know, we, we joked in his times of health that he was going to get tattooed on his like arm that said, trust her because when he, became manic he would not go to the hospital he would not do the things that we knew we needed to do we that we got his um psychiatrist gave him these like really heavy sleeping pills and so he was supposed to sleep for like three days and if he slept he could like cut it like it could break the cycle but he refused to take them and instead would stay up for two weeks on end and be all different places and i'd have to send the police out to get him and there was just a lot of things and the police do not know how to handle mental health at all no. therefore it ended with my husband having a felony because and he, it, it was just a really bad situation then that affected when he came out of the episode that affected his life afterwards in terms did of, he assault like an officer is that what happened um so and we're gonna use some little Not humor exactly. here okay <laughs> all right everyone so um and i say this because my husband laughed at this story he told this story all the time it's just part of what happens when you're when you have psychosis. So he was in the hospital after a very long week of not sleeping and being all over this, the thing. Can we pause for just a second? Yeah, because I think this is something. So being someone who didn't experience this, like, and hearing it from your your yeah. perspective, I just think it's important that people know that when Scott was healthy he was himself yes and he could think rationally and could you know recount stories and 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 do things in um just a in a, it, i hate the using the word normal it's always like the hardest used word to use i don't like it because it's sure. like what 
what the hell is what normal? is normal? Um, yeah. Right, uh, but in a more conventional way. Function- yeah. Functional, yeah. You would have no way. idea. You would have no clue. You would just think like, I want this man to be my best friend because he's fucking hilarious yeah. and so he was smart great. and all of these things. Yeah. So um, I knew Amy for two years before I knew that any of this was going on in her okay. life. So it wasn't like um, it was apparent. Right. Well, I it was apparent to everyone, but she hid it. I she worked, hid it. That very, was. Very I worked well. so hard. So I think it. it's just important for people to know that when he was not well and he was in a manic episode, he wasn't the same person. This was not Scott. This was Scott's illness. So I just, because that was something that, that I didn't yeah. realize. And it was like, I learned by learning about bipolar disorder through you and through your story with Scott. So I just kind of. No, I definitely appreciate yeah. that. And so when he comes out of it and he can have these conversations with me and relate to me what happened in those seven days, he didn't remember all of it, but he would remember some of it. And he was like, Amy, he was like, it was awful. Like I was laying in the hospital and I had 302'd him, which is the worst thing to have to do to someone you love. The worst thing. So 302 is different than 5150. Is Is that that correct? Because 5150 for me, that's a California thing is when they they come in and they hold you for 72 hours against your will. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Okay, got it. Yeah, so it must just be different in different states. Got it. So, um, and I have My stalker tried to 5150 me, by the way. I can't, I want to hear this. That's a whole other story, but I do want to hear about the stalker. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so he, here's how he related. He related as that he was in the hospital and he had, the police had taken them there because I had the police take him there because he was thinking about jumping in the river because it coincided with the podcast we were going to record the stories in his brain. It was so fragmented. He got this this man's story confused with his own story. And so he was like, I just I think I'm him. I think I'm him. And so he wanted to try he was like, I think that he's in the river at Ohio State, and I think that's what happened, so I'm going to jump in, and I don't even know. But so he's laying there naked. I don't know why he was naked, but he's laying in the hospital with like, oh, he probably had like a hospital gown. But he said he got up and because he was paranoid and freaked out that these people, he didn't know who they were, what they were doing to him. Sure. So he gets up, rips off the hospital gown, and takes the, the wet floor sign, to, he says, as Scott said, to cover my junk, and ran and took off like just freaking took off outside the hospital and down the path and i said where were you going he's like i was going to 51 which is like like highway i was like yeah it's a road what are you doing so he just took off because he just in his brain all he wanted to do was get away from these people because he felt like they were going to harm him and so uh they finally tackled him and then the way they tackled him it was a big guy i ended up meeting him at the um court later on uh put his hand over his nose and his mouth as he was sitting on his back and he couldn't breathe and then he got even more paranoid so he bit the man's hand and, and that's, that's what where the felony charge and for. that's what the felony charge was for so um so when we say systems are broken that's part of it that's part of it part of it is getting a stay in the hospital is nearly impossible and sarah can tell you a whole different story on her end i've had you know I think we tried like 10 times to get him a stay. Maybe he was able to stay four. Um, you have to be, you have to say certain things to be able to get a bed. There's just not enough beds. And then once you get in, your psychiatrist isn't able to communicate with this uh, hospital psychiatrist. So those things 
not being able to work together, he always got on weird meds and they just basically drugged him up to the point where he was comatose. So there just wasn't this idea of like, I'm going to help you be better. The hospital always told me you're here for 72 hours. So you don't die. If you want to go back out to the parking lot and try to um, die by suicide again, we'll bring you back in for another 72, but we have no ability to actually help you. And that's what they told me. So we just did round for round for round of this. Um, and that's what I mean when the system is broken. And so I would be doing all of these things while working, while taking my kids to take care, while trying to figure all this out, like while teaching children, I'm on the phone on the other in the hallway with the police. Like it was living these two lives was, I don't even know. It exhausting. was like, it was exhausting. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Know if that answered your yeah, question, no. but it's very informative, though. And and so, I guess you know, I've had I had um, my mother's best friend. Well, I, I don't really want really to expose this person, but I had a friend that was bipolar, and I just remember when she would go through manic phases, it would be just the house would be a mess and and it would be just you couldn't get out of bed and that type of thing i had i had a girl that i dated that was bipolar and she would have the same thing everything when she would stop showering she would yeah. um she would she would stop showering she would uh the house would be a mess she wouldn't eat those types of things right and um but this this is it sounds like a whole other level and is a psychosis because of the bipolar or is the psychosis caused by the lack of sleep? Which came first, the chicken right. or the egg, right? I don't know. Yeah, got it. Um, I think, I wonder if, you know, any of us not sleeping for three, four days straight would probably have some sort of psychosis. Mm -hmm. I think I would that, think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the bipolar makes you, and what you're talking about with these other people, that's manic depressive. He had that too. <laughs> so oh, got it. that okay. was next. So we would have a high... And then we would do the not showering, not sleeping, not eating, okay. not leaving the bed. So we had both sides of it. Uh, it was just that the the manic high was more, what's the word? Destructive. Just, thank you. Oh, that's <laughs> why I got you, girl. Destructive. It was more destructive. Um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, he. Uh, there's that whole idea of, like, believing that you are Jesus or oh. that the um there's like people after you in your phone that sort of stuff oh and got it yeah so, so, it got, so legit psychosis yeah and it gets from my experience and i like to say this because again unqualified therapist over here uh from my experience the breaks got worse over time so his brain just kept breaking and breaking and breaking so each episode was worse than the last and that is a like a scientifically proven thing with mental illness is the more episodes you endure in any mental illness, the 
harder it is to escape them. So the more frequent they can become and then the more intense they can become when you experience them. So it's, it's what makes it difficult. And, you know, Scott shared that he felt like his brain was a tornado and a hurricane whipping pieces around with different puzzle pieces from different puzzles trying to fit together that just didn't fit. And that's what it was like inside of his brain. And he just wasn't something he could endure any longer. So no. he was, so he was just trying to piece together. So the thing, if so tasks like going to the grocery store and getting milk become this sort of, is it, it becomes like this, um, you know, disjointed adventure th that he might be going out and then he gets confused. Would he get confused? So it would depend on his time, right? So if he was back in his normal stage or, you know, being with Scott, he would go to the grocery store, make us gourmet meals, take care of the kids, do all of these things, right? But if he was manic, he would probably more than what you're saying, he would find a friend or a bunch of friends and decide that they're going to like go on a trip together. And I mean, my friend, I just mean someone standing outside the gas station. Got like it. he would, it would be more like that. It would be more of this feeling of like big ideas, huge ideas, like, and just really trying to like explain to people the ideas and getting pissed off when they can't understand what he was saying but he really wasn't making sense in explaining these ideas. So it would be more of that. It would be more like losing Like trying time. to relate to the guy in the podcast by jumping the Olin Tangy, which would make no sense to, to people, but to him, it made sense, right? Yes, exactly. He thought if he felt, if he did that, then he could understand him and, and maybe we could break the case. I don't even know. It was, it was pretty intense. Sure. And they were triggered by certain things too. So it's not like he would just like you said, go to the grocery store and like flip a switch. So it would be like if his friends were like, let's go out and party and then have him stay up till three, four or five in the morning, have him stay up all night. That's a trigger. Like, so he, like that would he kind wasn't of really a, a partier, episode. but he did enjoy his nerdy games, uh, Magic the Gathering. He played a lot. And so they would stay up all night and they loved to go to tournaments and get caught con something i don't know um that's a terrible this stuff one of those game things gaming things conventions sure um, yeah gaming con <laughs> sure uh -huh, i don't <laughs> magic even know con. so magic con some, some sort something, of con something yeah. something and cosplay all that so those would be a trigger um stress about money would be a trigger and it broke his heart because he couldn't bring any money in so i worked three to four jobs while he stayed home with my daughter and um you know, I would say like 75% of that, he was like the best dad ever. And then 25% poor Lily was like four years old and couldn't wake him up so they could go to preschool, you know, that sort of thing. So, but 75%, he was like dad of the year. So, you know, I mean, I think that it was just, it was so disjointed and there were so many sides to it. And there was so much secret, sec secrecy. There's so much but secrecy. I, that I lived in, yeah, secrecy. Why did that sound like a weird word? Anyways, <laughs> secrecy that I lived in, and um, I felt like I just lived two different lives, and that was that was weird. And I feel like it's just not fair. You shouldn't have to do that. If you have someone who's suffering like that, like it just being scared, uh, the public being scared of this doesn't make it better. Like. 
let's talk about it. Let's try to like reform things or let's be there for each other or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, and a lot of times my friends would just get really upset if I was honest with them that I just didn't leave. And I wasn't, I just told them, I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm just not leaving until I had a breaking point. Everybody has a breaking point. I had a line and so, yeah. So is that where you were when he went to treatment in, you said Arizona? Where did he go? He went to New Mexico. He, he died in Arizona. Mexico, sorry. Um, that is where I was. Uh, there, this is like a really, really hard part for me because um, I just felt like I had to choose between my kids and him. I would have followed him to the top of the parking lot if I'm going to be real honest with you. That's how much I loved him. My kids, though, the last time he was chasing me around the house in his manic episode, like trying to, I don't know what he was even yippering. He's like, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. I have this idea. I have this idea. He was just being really like in my face and a little bit like, you know, abusive in a way. And my little son was only one years old and he was like tottering around and he's like hitting him. He's like, no, daddy, no. You know, like, and I was like, there is no fucking way my son is going to think this is how you treat women. And then my daughter's upstairs who her dad is her best friend and she just loves him so much, but she's locked in her room with food because she's scared. So at that point I was like, I can't, like, I have to pick my children, our children. And I knew once he came to that, he would also agree that that was the best yeah, course, idea, course. choice, all of these things. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that unfortunately the 30 day treatment program didn't, um, work because he was also just very good at talking his way out of things. So, um, he was very smart, man. Like, genius smart and so he was able to get out of things and he um he was still in psychosis when he left his paperwork showed that but um and then he lived out in new mexico for a couple months got a job made new friends best friends they knew each other for like two weeks but anyways and um and then i'm not sure what he was doing in arizona i really don't i tried to play detective jesse and i actually went out there um to retrieve his body and to see where he died and to talk to the police and we tried to figure it out and we just couldn't put the pieces together all i know is what he went to the, the baseball game the day before <laughs> so you had been so you were technically separated at that point we were separated yes so <clears throat> it's a lot um when you went out there with Jesse to retrieve the body. What was that like? Was there, was there, you know, was there the closure? Was there, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, because look, you're not the only person that is struggling with this, obviously. Yeah. You know? um, this is a reality for so many people. Yeah. And again, what do you do when you love someone like this? And yeah. what do you do when you have a family? Did you almost feel relieved? No, no, um, not at all. I've only felt relief since, um, you know, I'm not sure where everybody stands, you know, in your audience about belief on mediums, but like I've been seeing a medium and really spoken to Scott through that. And um, I've only felt relief since then and hearing from him about what happened 
why it happened and how there was just no he, it ha he couldn't do it it just it was his he was so broken that he just couldn't so now I ha but that is not where I was when I went to Arizona when I went to Arizona I was in shock and um I I don't know I I mean like Jesse can recount it better than me because to me it's all a blur but I was insistent on seeing every step of it I wanted to see the parking garage at the airport I wanted to see like where he jumped where he fell I wanted to see the footage I wanted to watch the footage a thousand times I went to see his body because honestly there was a moment a big moment where I thought it was a joke like I thought like he was like I'm gonna that's just how he was and so I thought like he would like because all they had was his license so I thought oh my gosh he totally gave his license to somebody else and this is a joke until I saw his body obviously and then at that point it became real and um and I just I don't know I didn't Jesse will tell you I didn't want to leave she had to basically like force me to go because I was like I'm just gonna sleep right here and um so you know it, it was really hard to because I hadn't seen him in I don't know five months something like that so um I, I guess there was closure there I don't really know that when someone dies like that so suddenly it's so much of a blur and um yeah. you don't really I don't recall like every specific detail um but I think that it was important to me to see everything and to try to understand and try to put the pieces together and try to figure it out. And then it wasn't until years later that I realized it didn't matter. Like that was, that it just doesn't matter to even try to do the research. And that's when I was able to stop going through his phone. I think I went through his phone every single night from like midnight to three or four in the morning <clears throat> for months and months and months, like trying to like, maybe I missed one thing or to see his journals. And the other thing that's really hard is that when they are in these spaces, they're super, super mean to the people they love the most. And so his last journals that he had on him when he died were some really awful things written about me. Um, and since then he's told me that, you know, that was not him that wrote that and the, to let go of that. But, um, so, you know, there, there was, there was that idea of like, I totally failed you. You know, my only job in life, I worked for 17 years to keep you alive. And then you know, like, it, I didn't do it. And, um, but I come back to the idea that I had a choice and I had to like either choose my kids or him. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think, I think he was breaking even more and I feel like it could have gotten, uh, it could have gotten worse. It could have gotten violent. It could have gotten to, yeah. you know, um, we joke like, I'm sorry, this is like, I joke so much that I don't know I'm gonna offend anyone, but we used to say, used to be like, it could have been a Dateline episode. Like I could have been that situation where his brain completely broke and then we're all dead. So yeah, I, I don't that, doubt that. Yeah. So, hey movers, I just wanna take a moment out of this week's program just to give a shout out and talk about my friends, Jamie Beebe and Jake Deptula and their podcast, Strictly Stalking. They have a great podcast and I was fortunate enough to be on it and they are really, it's funny because they are sharing some really harrowing stories from survivors of stalking cases. And as someone who has been stalked and has really um, seen it take an effect on me in my personal life, my professional life, 
I just love what they're doing and they're so authentic and they're so genuine about it. And they really just, you know, as a survivor, not only of true crime, but of stalking and, and working with so many people who are also survivors, it is a really important thing to give those people a voice and let them tell their story in their own way with their own narrative. And that's what Jamie and Jake do. When you listen to the program, I mean, they don't hardly say anything. They are just literally letting the survivors share their story through their eyes on what they went through. It is a fantastic program. Check them out on podcast one. It is called Strictly Stalking and check out my episode too. Strictly Stalking with Collier Landry and Surviving a Murder in Mansfield. I think that's what the episode's called. I don't know. Anyways, check them out. Strictly Stalking over at podcast one. They're great friends of the program and uh, they're doing some great stuff. It's such a, you know, it's just interesting in just the brief time that I've spoken to you. Again, I have friends and obviously I, I guess I was thinking of manic depression versus bipolar. But, um, you know, I've had friends have told me that's what they were. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But this, with the level of psychosis, it, you know, you off, you know, we talk a lot about in this country or at least we're starting to, or we recognize what we don't do anything about is probably the more accurate way to describe it is, you know, with homeless and, and lashing out on people and, um, you know, and then you see things where you, you know, alcoholism is involved where, you know, they enter, you know, an alcoholic psychosis, whatever it's, it's called Wilkes-Barre syndrome or something like that. Um, where you, that might not be the right term, but basically where the brain just becomes fractured, but that's from substance abuse, right? And from denatured alcohol and, 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 you know, um, fermented alcohol that just causes the psychosis in your brain. But, um, but we see that and, and what, I mean, and here you have somebody that you've been with, you guys were together when you said 17 years at that point. We were married 17, so we've been together like 19 years, yeah. 19 years. And this is someone that you can't, you know, that, that loves you and knows you and you have two children together and that they can't break that psychosis um, or make that separation of this is my wife, this is the person I love, this is the mother of my children, right? I guess when you, when you talk about these things on the podcast or when you talk to other individuals that are experiencing this are there ways to break through this because obviously it seems like you exhausted all your resources too we i mean what would the answer I'm gonna, be? Let, I'm gonna let sarah take that one so we've talked about this a lot and so so i come from the opposite side of things i'm not the caretaker i'm the sufferer i guess i don't know we both suffer we all suffer right we all suffer sure. from something sure. um but I have, I, I have uh, been diagnosed with treatment-resistant de major depressive disorder. So I have tried, um, you know, close to 10 medications for depression. Um, and I have been, I haven't, I don't suffer manic episodes or anything like that, but I suffer deep depressive episodes to the point sure. where I don't get out of bed for months at a time. I don't shower. I don't clean my house. I don't, my kids, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking because, so my husband, jokingly asked the kids a couple of days ago what's what's mommy and daddy's thing like what's our thing and i was like please don't ask them that like i immediately got i was like i know this is not going to be good and my oldest said oh mommy's thing is sleeping and i just broke down and i just started to cry because i thought that's how my kids see me they just see me as this broken person who can't 
take care of themselves. You know, um, I'm very blessed to have the support team that I have with Randy, who's my husband and with Amy. Um, you know, I feel bad. I'm like putting Amy through this all over again, you know, uh, but you know, who are, are there to support me. And, you know, my husband's an amazing person. He does all the cooking and all the cleaning and he takes care of our children because there are times when I say times, I mean months on end where I just, I, I can't do it. I can't even take care of myself. And so, um, when we say like, is there a way to break it? I don't know. I've tried, uh, so much, but I, I mean, therapy is, is an amazing tool. Um, absolutely. But when you, I don't suffer from the same things that Scott suffered from, you know, I, I don't suffer from psychosis. I don't suffer from manic episodes. So I can't speak to that. What I can say is that I have found something and I don't, I, I, I hesitate to share here because, you know, you've shared that you have stopped drinking and, and, you know, there's substances involved. And so, you know, the, what I have found is actually doing a psychedelic therapy session. And so I, Oh, you can, you can share that. That's, okay. <laughs> this is fantastic. This is, oh, no, no, no. I just stopped drinking alcohol because it just wasn't working for me. I, I, I am all about, you know, I, that was actually going to be something I was going to lead into. So this is great that you're going. This awesome. Episode. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I yeah, actually, absolutely. um, you know, it's not legal here. Uh, and this is in, uh, to go back to systems broken. The systems are broken because the only thing that's legal here in Pennsylvania is for me to do ketamine therapy, which to me was just not an option. Um, you know, I have major depressive yeah. disorder, which also kind of, and I don't know if these things go along together, if it's a chemical imbalance in itself that also puts me into the realm of having an addictive personality. And so I was not willing to do something like ketamine to risk getting, having an addiction to something like that. And yeah. because you have to do multiple sessions of it for it to get its full affectivity, I just wasn't, it wasn't something I could risk doing and so i and that's a bad really, scene i had somebody who was addicted to ketamine that's a bad yeah scene. it's a bad it is it's but a, yeah it's with scary. it only being the, the only thing legal and scott tried it too yeah. and um he was wasn't able to do all the sessions that you had to do to make it work well and not only that but like this is where the things where these types of things it's like there it's not a perfect science and there's nothing out there it's like for someone like scott is there something to help i don't know because these types of things like psychedelic therapy are not an option for people with psychosis because they can you in can turn trigger, trigger a psychotic mm -hmm. episode. Sure. Um, you know, so it's, it's not an option for them. So it's unfortunate because I experienced such relief from this and I feel like a completely different person. I did it in May at the end of May. And since then, this is, this you know, is psilocybin therapy. I did psilocybin therapy. Yes. Yeah. So I went to yeah. Canada. I went to Vancouver, Canada, and I was like, you know what? Um, I'm finding somebody who can do this and it's legal there. And sure. so I did. Um, I started with Cambo first, which was a frog poison that makes you purge everything out. And so it was like like the Bufa. Oh, I don't Bufo. know what that is. Bufo frog. Yeah, it's the same thing. The Bufo. Okay. Yeah. That's what so we call it here in California. I know okay. I have several friends that have tried this. Yeah. With that have yeah. severe depression. I will never do it again. <laughs> I'm skipping that part. I'm going straight to the psilocybin. I don't, I, I don't think I can. Yeah. 
barf like that. I could do it again, actually. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you think back and, and in the moment you're like, nope, never doing this again. But then, you know, enough time passes and you're like, okay, I could probably do that again. But it was, I had been holding on and, you know, our bodies hold that stuff. And if we don't yeah. get rid of it and if we don't release it and get it out of ourselves, it can be very destructive. And that's where I was. I was just in this very destructive place of suicidal ideation. I thought, I genuinely believed that my friends and family were better off without me. I did not belong on this planet. They need, I would bring nothing but relief by taking my own life. That is, that was what was in my heart. I believed that. So even after being with me through all of that, yes. she truly, truly believed that. And I remember looking at her and be like, you fucking can't like, no. Yeah. And she yeah. still was like, no, it's just going to be better. This It'll way. be, you'll be better. Like you will be better. My kids will be better. My husband will be better. Yeah. Everyone will be better off because I felt like this burden. I felt like the 5,000 ton thing on the shoulders of everyone around me because that is what mental illness does to you. It lies to you. Your thoughts are yep. not facts when it comes to things like that. And these are lessons that I've been able to learn and to be able to see through psychedelic therapy. You know, it's this thing that just basically lifts the veil and you can see your life for what it truly is. You're not seeing it from that made up narrative that you have in your brain where you're telling yourself all of these things that you're not worthy, that you're a burden, that life would be so much better without you. You're seeing things for the way that they truly are. And if it's if you think about the person you love most in this world and you think about them saying those things about themselves and how much that hurts and, and you it, it's, it makes you feel like almost like angry and sick. And it's like, no, why would you think this about yourself? Doing this therapy session allowed me to see me like that, which I'd never been able to do before. And so for me, that was my healing space after years of therapy and medication after medication after medication that just didn't work. And please, like, I want to make it very clear, I am an advocate for medication because it works for some people. It's just that I had, I have treatment resistant major depressive yeah. disorder. Yeah. So for me, that's not something that works for me. For others though, it is an absolute option Johnson. and, it, and yeah. it works. Yeah, so I just wanna make clear, I'm not like against medication or anything like sure. that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it's just that that wasn't, it wasn't an option for me. So when you, when you say like, is there a way to break through this? Is there a way to break it? For some, yes, I think for some, no. I don't, and that's the sad reality of it. I don't think that at the time that he was alive, there was anything that was gonna make it better, that could have put the pieces back together in his brain. Um, but on a positive note, Sarah, I will tell you from someone who was not pro-psilocybin, and has now changed her tune completely. She was like so against. She's like, I do I was not like, want you to do this. I was like, this, this is not happening. You're not this going. <laughs> I'm canceling it all. Um, it, it's a oh my gosh, guys! Like she is a completely different human. Uh, kept her entire personality intact, but just brighter. Yeah. And um, it's the weirdest, wildest miracle that I've ever seen. And, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. 
It's amazing. But what we talk about on the podcast is we talk about the toolbox. So you can't just go to therapy. You can't just take medicine. You can't just do psilocybin. You can't just, you know, if you're going to go and smoke marijuana and you have a medical there, you can't do that. You can't just work out. People are like, that's the answer. Yeah. No, you have, have to. Have you tried yoga? Oh, God. I we both teach yoga. Have you tried try yoga? <laughs> yeah. We're always like, have you tried deep breaths? Yeah. Sarah's like, I oh teach meditation, God. asshole. But anyways, so it's uh, it's it's figuring out what pieces you need personally to put it together. And, you know, part of that is, and I know it's like a, a word that everyone's using now is trauma, right? So it's part of it is, is really digging into what is your trauma and how do you heal that? And using a multiple multitude of things multitude and finding what you works for you so you just said is. it right there it's a toolbox and that's the goal of our podcast is to give tools every single time that we come on there take it leave it throw it away we don't care but like this is another option because it what works for one might not work for the other yeah. and i personally in my life i need like 14 things to Same. function as a human <laughs> um you know i just started doing that float therapy where you're like in the thing where you, you probably have that in California. Oh, yeah, you know, where the sensory deprivation. Yeah. In fact, I got a, I got a Groupon on it years ago and I never did it. And I think I still have it. I should go do it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that isn't solving my problems, but it's adding <clears throat> to the plus sign of maybe Amy will make it. So, yeah. you know, I just adding things to the things that I do for myself to try to heal. Um, is that's what we do. We just try to tell people about all of the options there are. I think it's wonderful what you guys are doing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, you know, and, and <laughs> it's very funny. We're like, I'm being very sensitive to you, Collier, because you said you quit drinking. But I do live in California. We do accept all these things. True. <laughs> no, I'm true. As crazy as California yeah. is, we have great weather. Yes. And, um, and we have very forward thinking physicians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes, and I nice. love that. Experimental really treatment. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's very. I mean, it's like when you say you know, I tried psilocybin, I'm like you did. You're just. It's 2022. You're just trying this now. I know. <laughs> that's what I. I know. That's what I think to myself because it's just we we do take it for granted. But you know, you know how Pennsylvania the, and Ohio is. No, it's 100. Years behind. I, mean, I take this for granted. Yeah. Abortion is now illegal in Ohio. Come on now. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> backward steps. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just um, you know it's. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, we do, we take a, for granted a lot of things based on our location that are available to us. I mean, there was just this, like, a, there was just a, like the Bufo toad frog ceremony and they were doing psilocybin and there was, there's a, they call it journeying here. They have parties oh God, and you pay 500 bucks and journey. you go and you go on a journey and they have, you know, Sherpas and. <laughs> You know, you pay oh, yes. your money and there's like 20 people and it happens right down the street from here in Santa Monica. And they have people that are, you know, that, that wow. are clinical specialists and that will, you know, that observe you. And it's an overnight thing and you drink a tea. It's not like ayahuasca or anything, but, you know, you, you they, they, they're just there to sort of guide you through it. There's like four people and, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's, um, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. It literally I'm is down for the journey. I've never done it. Um, not to say that I'm not that I'm against it or anything. I just have never done it. You know, I um, it's interesting when you talk about medication. I had gotten on Lexapro, um, 
about a year and a half ago. Well, hold on, so two years ago. So February, 2020. And I took it for a year and my prescription had run out and I needed to get it refilled. And I was on a show and I didn't get a refill for like three days. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna try not to do this. Cause I did it and I wanted to quit drinking and all these things. And so I, um, I was like, okay, I'll try this. And um, it was great. And then I, you know, and this is something do not, if you are listening to this podcast, do not do this shit. Um, I don't wean yourself off. off. I went it <laughs> call. I went off a cold Turkey and I was great. And there's a point while I'm telling this story and I have never, by the grace of God, I don't know how this isn't, hasn't happened to me, but I, um, I've never had depression or, or, um, or, uh, any, you know, I've been sad, been very sad, obviously. And I've faced, I've faced, um, depressive moments and I, where I have been depressed, but I would not say that I have, I have faced depression in those ways, you know, because I've had many friends that have, you know, can't get out of bed, can't shower, can't function, you know, and you're just going, what is going on? And it's so hard to understand, but I was two weeks off of the Lexapro and I was only taking 10 milligrams and I started having these panic attacks, lightweight panic attacks. Cause I would, I took the Lexapro not for, it was for like anti-anxiety cause I was having ups and downs and and i would attribute most of that to um my choice of work you know hollywood is a is a is a industry the entertainment industry is an industry in where you experience very dramatic highs and lows something happens something doesn't happen you get a job you're on it you're on a show for for you know weeks and weeks and, and months and months and then all of a sudden you crash because you're off the show and it's you know you have this sort of postpartum depression or whatever it is, right? Or, or you know, post, we call it post-show depression where you're just like, oh, I was on the, had this great one with people for like the last year and now all of a sudden I have nothing to do. And I'm like, oh my God, I have no job. And yeah. <laughs> I, all my friends are gone because you, you're you you're making a show. So you're with these people every single day doing something. It's, a, you know, it's a team effort. It's a creative endeavor and it, you, you become, you know, attached to these people, right? And then all of a sudden they're gone and you're on different shows and you're like, okay, what happened? Um, but I started exp experiencing after two weeks, just this severe anxiety, panic attacks and depression and like legit depressed. And I'm like, why am I depressed? And there was no reason to explain it. And it wasn't like my life was peachy keen and everything was going fine. I, mean, I was having all the daily struggles I have with, you know, struggling, you know, working in a creative industry, getting, paying the bills, you know, maintaining, starting a podcast, all those things, right? that you juggle, but I, um, I, for about two weeks, I had this and I had, kept having to remind myself rationally, Collier, you've taken yourself off of medica medication that was messing with the chemicals in your brain. You're not on that medication. This is a side effect of you cutting out this medication cold turkey. And I would have to remind myself of that many times a day when I would get into those moments. What I find so interesting about that is I was able to remind myself of that, that this is just something that you are going through. Whereas someone who has clinical depression or someone that has a, a disorder, manic depressive, bipolar, there's not that filter. There's not that perception of, oh, okay, like your husband would, would never had in his moments of 
clarity, for lack of a better word, or when he was, you know, quote unquote, normal um, or functional, rather, he he couldn't say, OK, well, now when I go into that phase where I'm in this state of psychosis or not understanding or conspiracy theories are abounding or whatever, mm-hmm. I can take myself out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people really need to understand. And I mm-hmm. and I, you know, I like I said, I've had friends that were depressed, friends who were clinically depressed experienced bipolar, experienced, you know, um, manic depressive disorder. But it wasn't until I cut myself off that medication where I was literally not understanding why I was feeling so down. And it wasn't like I was feeling down about like the, the murder or my mother or my life or anything. It was just, I was just sad. And I'm like, why am I sad? And then I had to, but I, but thank God I could have that cognition to just say, okay, this is what it is. I can't imagine not having that. What you just described so well for someone who didn't know it is exactly how we feel, or I, I'll just speak for myself when I'm, when I have depression and it hits me is that overwhelming sadness for no real reason. And I can't pinpoint it and I can't tell you why, and I can't find anything good. And I literally just want to die because I feel so because we can't rationalize it. I can't tell you. And when someone comes outside of my life and says something like, you know, it's not that bad or get up or you have nothing to be sad about. I'm like, but I do, but I don't know what it is. And you just want to like punch that person in the face. It's really, really hard, really, really hard to explain exactly what you just said to someone who doesn't understand it. I, I was that person. I was that, that person. Was snap a out really of it. Good snap out of it. You have a mate, you have a, you, you yeah. snap out of it. You have a beautiful life. You have this right. and that. And then, it, 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 and until I had that, that moment of clarity yeah. for myself of going, whoa, this is what it's like. Cause I couldn't explain it. It wasn't like something triggered me and made me sad. I read a sad article. I thought about something yeah. that's sad. I heard a sad song, watched a sad movie, whatever. There was nothing responsible for it. It was literally a chemical situation where I was depleted of serotonin, right? Because it's a, what is it, a serotonin, uh, SSRI, serotonin, mm-hmm. selective serotonin yes, reuptake inhibitor, yeah. inhibitor, right? So I, there was a chemical issue in my brain, but it was self-induced, right? I took myself off of medication, which again, do not do that. Approach <laughs> your doctor, do Talk not do your that. Doctor. Please don't. But I had to remind myself of that. But I just thought to myself in those moments, I was like, oh my God, this is what this is like for someone who can't do that, who doesn't have that cognition to go, this is what you're going through, man. And I could, cause I could rationalize myself out of it. And after about five, 10 minutes, it would go away. I wouldn't think about it. And, you know, I've never gone back on the medication since, and I've been great. And I've also been sober, <laughs> right? So I wasn't even, you know, and, and yay for me, but I, but it was really something that just really struck a nerve with me that it was like, wow, like, okay, you, you are, you got a glimpse inside, inside Mm -hmm. the mind of someone else that is going through this. They can't get out of it. It's a gift. It was powerful. It was so powerful. I mean, that's you, that it's like, it's a gift for you to be able to do that. You can now relate to those friends that have those depressive feelings and episodes. And that's a beautiful thing because there's nothing more frustrating and embarrassing, embarrassing and shameful feeling than someone who has depression trying to explain it to somebody else who doesn't. And yeah. 
that filter that you're talking about, that filter that you can turn on to say, this is just a chemical thing that's mm -hmm. happening in my brain. For someone who's in that deep depths of depression, who has that clinical depression, they don't have that filter. Their filter is actually completely different. That filter turns on that says, mm -hmm, you're right, nobody cares about you. You're mm -hmm. right, the best thing for you to do is to stay into bed. Like you don't, nobody wants to see you. You have nothing to offer. You're worthless. Like that's the filter that turns on for someone in that state. And so it's a beautiful thing that you can say to yourself, this is, you know what? Whoa, stop this train of thought. This is, we're gonna stop this right here. <laughs> and the other thing I kind of wanted to say about what you said is that you felt great right after you stopped taking it. And I want like everybody to know if you stop taking your medication for a few days, you're going to feel amazing. Yeah, oh yeah, it was, it was a very short lived high. And then you're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was, it, I think it maybe lasted, I say two weeks, but I think it only lasted about a week to 10 days. Yeah. I was great. I felt good. And then all of a sudden for two weeks, it sunk into that, into the part where I was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh my God, like what is going to happen? I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was, but I, again, I just kept having to remind myself and slowly I came out of it. Right. Yeah. You know, every day it was a, it was, it, you know, I would just remind myself and it would be less and less that I would feel that way. And then finally it was just gone. But man, uh, it just really made me take a it's hard a look. Place. Yeah, it is. This is what it's like. This is me having that experience. Wow. And it's almost like I feel that way with someone. It's interesting having this conversation with you because I like I always am like, not everyone feels this way. Like Right. Yeah. I, I, I it's hard for me to imagine a life without the depression. Um and it's also an interesting thing that I've noticed recently and I've had to write about it is like when I'm not depressed, be like, this is what you really are. This is what you really feel like. And like, I'll maybe watch this video back right at a time when I'm like super depressed and like sad and don't, and I'll be like, I don't even know that person. What was that? That's not even real. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's like a complete, you know, flip. Like yeah. I, I was reading through some journal entries that I had written when I was in a really bad spot and I was like, oh like so <laughs> mortified i was like wow there were some storms going on in here that like i just don't i don't even understand right now feeling yes. like healthy looking at that person just from a few months ago wow of that wow. depressive state like because i'm we're both writing our books we're both writing memoirs and so you know i was writing this chapter on depression and i wrote it while i was feeling this really tough tidal wave of depression um, before I had my therapy. And I read through that the other day because I was, you know, adding to some some of the chapter and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like I I seriously, this is, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I feel like I, you know, authenticity is what we're here for. Oh, but I was so. like, you're messed up. Like that was messed up. Like I can't. Or, or you look you. at that and you're like, oh, that is not someone like, I want to be around. Who, yeah, that is not somebody. Like who is yeah, that yeah. person? Like ew. <laughs> you know, I was like, just like, like I was like ah. disgusted with myself. I was disgusted with my own brain's thoughts. Like it was, it was embarrassing. I was, sh I felt shame. I felt like shameful. I was like, I cannot believe that that is where my mind was just a few months ago. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's wild. Well, congratulations on this new experimental therapy and, and getting results out of it. And, and yeah. just, that's, inc I mean, that's, inc <clears throat> it's incredible. It's why we need to look at these things and 
you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's incredible. I'm, I'm really, you know, bravo to the Canadians. I know, right? Bravo, Canadians, yes. Bravo, like it's part Canadians. of their freaking therapy. Like, I just, like, uh, ended up, like, a, a therapist's office, and they're like, oh, here's our therapist that offers, you know, psilocybin psychedelic therapy. I was like, good God. Like, come on, America. Get your or shit maybe, together. Or maybe we need to be a Californian. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, I, you know, we I had to go a, down a, the street from Collier's house and, yeah, like, exactly. take a journey. I mean, literally, it's like a party. So, <laughs> I had a friend who was a, who was a therapist, and she's a therapist at or they are at a, a therapist at you know for for meta and so that's their clientele and they went to utah to get this therapy and they did mdma therapy as well and they did it mm. specifically yeah. to try not because they were they were having depression they were not depressed they realized that they, you know the, whatever her issues were which were their issues which were you know lack of relationship things of that nature child those types of things but she was like i really want to try this because how can i know if it's safe to recommend to my patients because i believe in this so much yeah you know she was really into it um it was really grateful that she participated in it because it it, it, it opened up her eyes to like this is something that we need to very seriously take a look at <laughs> because it yeah. can really be beneficial for people in their tre in, in, in treatment of this disease um i feel like we can go on and on i um but i have another interview um but i'd love to bring you guys back <laughs> for sure yeah, we would love that amy sarah where can our audience find you guys sarah's the best at this <laughs> i'm gonna look at her <laughs> uh so you can go to our website which is www.unqualifiedtherapists.com uh we are on instagram at unqualified therapists also on twitter with that same handle and our episodes are everywhere that you can find podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast provider is. We are unqualified therapists on there as well. It's pretty easy. You, we try to keep it consistent across the board. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, um, you release episodes every Wednesday? Every Thursday, we release our episodes. Thursday. So we have new episodes every week. Uh, we cover a broad variety of topics. So we try to keep it in the mental health realm. But um, just really try to give you guys some tools on healing, some understanding behind some of the diagnoses. We are, as our title says, unqualified, but we bring on the professionals yep. uh, from time to time as, as well as other what we deem unqualified therapists yes. like Collier himself yes. to talk about how you get through all the tough shit that you go through in life. And um, just, you know, real people out there living real lives yeah. and how you can just survive yeah. and thrive through we all balance of balance it with professionals and then real people telling their stories because yes. we both believe that stories heal. Um, we know you believe that too, sir. Yes. And, I do. Um, I do. Yep, absolutely. And so together, you know, all of us putting that out there, I think that we can get on a healing path, healing journey and not feel so damn alone. Yeah. That's our main I goal. Agree. We just don't want anybody to feel alone. We are with you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love this conversation. Um, I think my audience is really going to love it. Um, yeah. I hope so. so, so. Really fast, just if you could help me. If yeah. someone is struggling with these types of things, I know you're unqualified, but you do have resources at your fingertips. Sure. Is there any yeah. way you, anywhere you would recommend our audience to go? 
Yeah, if you're looking for therapy, which is going to be our number one suggestion always. for everybody, always. Psychology Today is going to be your best place to go because you can put in your zip code and you can find therapists near you that are accepting new patients. Um, if they are not, which is tough times, guys, everybody's going through yeah. some rough stuff right now. So therapists are pretty booked up. Get on a waiting list, though, because at some point they are going to have a cancellation and be able to get you in. In the meantime, you can check out resources like Cerebral, BetterHelp, those types of online resources as well. And if you just need to talk to somebody, we're always here. You can DM us. We um, answer all of our messages from people who reach out to us. We're not qualified, but we're a listening ear and we're here to reach and out our we arms. Can, and we can shoulders, also then point you in point a more in right specific direction, direction as yeah. to possibly where you go. We have a couple episodes um, about how to talk with friends, how to find friends that um, you can talk to about this sort of stuff without, you know, unloading on them and also with being honest with someone because it's so important to have someone that you can be your full authentic self with. Yeah, broaching this yeah. type of topic is pretty hard. So we try to give some guidance on how yeah. to do that. Um, and then also, you know, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline uh, is out there as well. There is a new number 844, which is like your 911. So you can just dial 844 and it'll take you to a the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Ladies, um, a pleasure. I want to have you guys back. Um, Thank you so much for joining the program. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a really good yeah, time. This was really nice. Yeah. I love talking with you as usual. Thank you so much. Amy and Sarah from Unqualified Therapists Inc. is their podcast. And uh, they were our guests today on Moving Past Murder. Thank you so much, ladies. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Bye. Clinical depression is a real thing. And I, you know, as I said to the girls, I as someone who's been through really traumatic events and really depressing things, I mean, look, my family abandoned me when the murder happened and I was thrown into the foster care system, right? There was a lot of, you know, sadness and sorrow going through my heart because not only did I lose my mother and my father, I lost my entire family and I felt completely abandoned because I was. And, but I always knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to make it through. I had this hope people who are suffering from these, from these mental illnesses or, or this, this depression, they don't see life that way. And it was, took me a really long time to understand it. But again, as I was sharing with the girls, when I came off medication, I had this depressive moments. I had to remind myself like, Oh, you're coming off of medication. That's, you know, that's why you feel this way. I at least had something to reference where some people, you know, people that go through this in a very serious way have a really hard time pulling themselves out of it. Um, it's great to hear that, you know, they have pursued alternative medicines to help them with this. And that's a great thing because those, you know, I'm not here to advocate for anything, but I do feel like as we advance scientifically in this world and we discover new holistic medicines that can maybe help with this treatment is a little more unconventional of course but um it seems to yield some really good results i've had many friends yield results from this as well so but that's my I, enough of the diatribe on that uh, again my heart goes out to these women and and all that they're sharing with us because uh they're really doing an amazing podcast they're really doing some amazing stuff and bringing some real awareness to this so um on that note i'm collier landry and this is moving past murder thanks y'all This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. 
please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.